0: Welcome to today's Hubbard and O'Brien Economics Podcast. We're recording this one on the morning of Thursday, April 7th, 2022. I'm Tony O'Brien. I'm a professor of economics at Lehigh University. With me, as always, is Glenn Hubbard, professor of economics and finance at Columbia University. Glenn, how are you today? Great. How are you, Tony? Doing well, doing well. So Glenn, if you look at the public opinion polls, inflation seems to be the issue that most people are concerned about. And that's probably unsurprising because uh, inflation started to take off about a year ago and has lately been the highest that it has been in 40 years, going all the way back to, to 1982. Um, maybe we can have a, just a, a quick review of how we measure inflation, then I'll, I'll ask you a question about it. So the, the measure of inflation that people encounter most often in news stories is based on the consumer price index and the percentage change in the consumer price index from the same month a year ago. The Federal Reserve likes to look at a broader measure of inflation. That's the personal consumption expenditures price index and it includes more goods and services than does the consumer price index. So they think that gives them a a better measure. And it's also the the measure that they use when judging have they hit their 2% average inflation rate target. And then finally, um, as we talk about all all of these in the, the book, if people want a longer discussion, there's the personal consumption expenditure index, excluding food and energy products, and the thinking of looking at that one is that food and energy tend to product, the prices of food and energy products bounce around a lot. So if you're looking at the underlying trend in inflation, that PCE, as it's called, minus food and energy, uh, tends to be a good indicator of what's happening. Many people on um, the Fed's Federal Open Market Committee look at that. So here's the question, though, because number of people have remarked that even though inflation is very high, other economic indicators look pretty good. So the unemployment rate has been below 4% for a while. Real GDP growth looks pretty strong. So the question is, are we overemphasizing inflation? Is high inflation necessarily such a bad thing?
1: Well, it's a great set of questions, Tony. The public is very focused on inflation right now for the reasons you suggest. It's not just the high inflation prints, nearly 8% in the United States and in the Eurozone, but people's everyday experiences of going to the grocery store or buying gasoline. It's highly salient for people. And students will start asking about this. I can remember talking about inflation in class even five years ago, and I might as well have been talking about Abraham Lincoln. It just wasn't something (laughs) that was in students' uh, experience, and and now it is. Yes, we should be worried. We are in the middle, I think, of an inflationary boom more than we are uh, stagflation, but unemployment this low and the tight labor market that it represents really isn't sustainable. Uh, I mean, let me frame it this way. The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, which measures um, uh, matched hourly earnings of individuals uh, across 12 months, has median wage inflation in February of 6.5%. It's very hard to have high and rising wage inflation without high and rising price inflation. And the tight labor market does argue for a problem. You know, since 1955, There's never been a quarter in which inflation was greater than 4% and unemployment was less than 5% that wasn't followed by a recession within the next two years, meaning typically the Federal Reserve would have to step in. We can talk later about whether soft landings are possible in the current environment. But yes, inflation is a problem. Now, why is it a problem? You know, why should it matter if we just mark prices up, if incomes go up? Isn't that just a, a numeraire, as we say in econ speak? Uh, not really. Um, we know that high inflation rates tend to be associated with variable inflation rates. And there is also a lot of lags consumers um, experience. So for example, I may pay high prices in the store, and maybe my wages go up, but maybe that's some period of time. And And maybe they don't. So it's salient for people, not because they don't take economics, but because they do understand these economic phenomena. And on the Fed, even though the Fed, um, you know, even a few months ago was saying inflation will just basically go away on its own, that is not the Fed's view uh, at the moment, with even people who've been formally dovish on the Fed uh, being careful to establish their bona fides about inflation. So, yes, it's a problem. Uh, yes, we're going to have to take action. And I think there's going to be some pain. But what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that you're right. One point that you made that might be worth emphasizing is if we go back to the last period when the U.S. experienced such high rates of inflation, that would be the 1970s. As you pointed out, um, inflation tended to bounce around. So you could make an argument that if we have, 5% inflation, month in, month out, year in, year out, we could adjust to that. But that doesn't seem to be the way that inflation works once it gets, you know, well above the 2% level. And uh, during the 70s, we saw it go 5, 7, back down to 4, eventually up over 10. And that kind of erratic movements in inflation, I think, is particularly disruptive, both to people as they try and plan, you know, can they afford to, to buy a house or make other decisions, and companies as well, as they, you know, enter into contracts with their suppliers, you know, what are we going to be able to charge for the, the final um, prices as well? And then as you point out, some people are relatively well protected for inflation, from inflation, but there are other people who aren't. If you're a retired person, for instance, some people have annuities, which are um, basically, you, you you pay a lump sum as a retired person, then you get a certain payment per month from the insurance company, typically the ones who sell these things. And oftentimes, uh, that doesn't change with inflation, it's just a fixed amount. And if inflation is continually undermining your purchasing power, uh, that's a problem. It's also the case that, that some people have their savings in things like checking accounts or certificates of deposit that tend to have low interest rates. And so the value of their savings is being eroded as, uh, as inflation increases. So yeah, I think you're right that, you know, I'm kind of reminded that the, the people who are, are saying, well, we really shouldn't pay too much attention to inflation, it's kind of like the old Groucho Marx line that, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> People know when they go to the gas station or they go to the, the supermarket that um, they know what they see and they see rising prices. So that then leads us to think about what do you think the outlook for inflation is going to be? Uh, do you think that the war in Ukraine is going to make inflation significantly worse?
1: Well, it's a good question. The war in the Ukraine's effect on inflation would come through energy prices. And the one sense in which the U.S. economy is not the same as it was in the 1970s, when we saw high inflation, is that we are um, less exposed uh, in the U.S. economy to changes in the price of oil. So a $10 increase in the price of a barrel of crude oil uh, sustained would reduce GDP growth by about a tenth of a percentage point. That That's a lot less than it would have been in the, the 1970s. So even if you had an oil shock that uh, kept oil, say, 100 to $110 a barrel for a sustained period, that alone isn't going to bring a recession in the U.S. and it would elevate inflation, uh, but there would also be substitution uh, away from, from oil. The real reason we have inflation is not so much Ukraine because we were getting high prints before Russia began its brutal invasion of of Ukraine. Uh, It's demand growth that was faster than supply. And the Fed made the old fashioned mistake of not noticing excessively accommodative fiscal policy, of continuing to stimulate the housing market when housing prices were already rising all over the country, uh, even in the heartland. So I think that's the reason for the high and rising inflation. So how high will it get will depend on whether we arrest that. Inflation is not transitory in the sense that it would go away on its own. That is, it's not all supply chains. And it's certainly not price gouging by oil companies or Putin in Ukraine. It really is going to require demand restraints. We know from Milton Friedman that monetary policy, if if that's what's to induce the demand restraints works with long and variable lags. And so I I don't expect we're going to see inflation immediately roll over the way the Fed staff forecast uh, seems to believe. So I I do think we're going to have a period of time uh, in which inflation continues to be high. I worry that the Fed, by talking about just raising rates, isn't sufficiently focused on the level. If we had a 200 basis point increase in the federal funds rate, which early Fed discussions emphasize, that would still leave the real rate of interest substantially negative. And it's very hard to imagine arresting inflation if we can't get the real rate at least at zero, which would require much more contractionary monetary policy than people are talking about. So how high high will it get? Depends on the Fed. We've heard tough talk recently from the Fed Fifty basis point rate increases are possible, quantitative tightening but I think we'll we'll have to see. I don't know what your perspective is.
0: I think those are very good points. Uh, and particularly you raised the issue that many people are concerned that the Fed may be lagging behind. And you know, we talked about um, potential um, echoes of the 1970s. And as we talk about in chapter 27, in the textbook chapter 17, the macro textbook. Um, In the 1970s, Arthur Burns was the chair of the Federal Reserve from 1970 to 1978. And in hindsight, many people have criticized him, inside and outside of the Fed because he was kind of a day late and a dollar short in pushing increases in the Fed's target for the federal funds rate. So as you pointed out is true now, was true then that the real federal funds rate, meaning taking the actual nominal rate and then subtracting off the inflation rate, remained negative through essentially the whole of his term. And one of the takeaways from that experience was that it was really only when Paul Volcker, who became chair in 1979, began to increase the target rate um, for the federal funds rate more quickly than inflation, rise it above inflation. So we got a positive real federal funds rate that inflation began to slow down, but we know that it, uh, raising the federal funds rate as high as he did, eventually it got to 22%, almost impossible to believe level. And that led to a very high real, uh, real um, federal funds rate um, that, uh, we had a severe recession. So 1981-1982 recession was the most severe to that point since the Great Depression, the first time that um, the unemployment rate had gotten above 10% since, uh, since the 1930s. So the, the next question maybe to think about is, are we looking at that sort of situation again? That is, if the Fed decides that it needs to more rapidly increase its target for the federal funds rate. Um, Are we in a situation where we're likely to see a severe recession? Now, um, Chair Powell, as you know, has said no, (laughs) as you might expect that he would, uh, that we're going to have a so-called soft landing, by which he means that the unemployment rate may tick up a bit. But we won't actually have a recession, and the inflation rate will come back down to close to their target of two percent. Do you think that that's plausible, or are we at significant risk for a severe recession?
1: I think it is a significant risk for a recession, perhaps a significant one. Uh, Although Chair Powell is right, there are a set of assumptions under which a soft landing is possible. Let me talk about both of those and. In turn, uh, Alan Blinder, who's a very well-respected economist at Princeton, former vice chair of the Fed, had recently done a study of Fed tightening cycles since 1965. And he identified 11 episodes. And in his own work, he he put aside two of them, the great financial crisis and COVID, because they weren't really caused by explicit monetary policy actions. And then he looked at what happened. Uh, in terms of soft landing probabilities. And he found in his judgment, a soft landing in six of the nine cases. So 11 minus the two, he threw out his nine, six out of nine soft landing. So that sounds good. I don't think it's very comforting. I don't take the comfort that Blinder did because when you look at the actual episodes, the ones he identified were mainly ones where movements in inflation that the Fed was reacting to um, were pretty small. Uh, relative to the size of the current situation. And I think to your question, the more apt comparison to blinders set might be the the one ending with the Volcker disinflation. So I think of the period from 1975 through to 1983, in both of those episodes then and now, the Fed was very much behind the curve. As you said, the real rate and inflation were moving in opposite directions. Um, now there are differences. Um, Burns, Arthur Burns, um, one might know was also the chairman of the economics department at, at Columbia, presumably a good qualification, but he still <laughs> presided over the great inflation. He didn't really feel he had a mandate to execute a hard landing. I, I presume Chair Powell feels he does have that mandate if he decides it's necessary. Um It is also different that inflationary expectations, at least presently, aren't completely unanchored, which they had become during the Burns um, period. And as I said earlier, you know, energy price shocks have a smaller effect on the economy today than they did during the 1970s, which had confused the Fed on on what to do. Going the other way, though, a a lot of housing has moved toward uh, housing investors and households with substantial uh, savings. So the transmission mechanism a little is a little looser in housing than it was before, meaning the Fed would have to raise rates a lot to bring uh, significant pain to the housing sector. And the way I think about it is, is it really reasonable to think that a 200 basis point increase in the policy rate, so that would be about a sixth of the rate increase that was required in the Volcker episode, will do the job when the gap between core inflation and the policy rate is about two-thirds as big today as it was in 1975, and to believe that the unemployment rate won't budge a lot. Now, if you're Powell and you'd like to say, we could probably just get growth down somewhat, I'm making this up, but let's say it's 1%, but positive, so no no recession, what would you need to believe? Well, I guess if you believe that there was no catch-up at all in inflation, and um, the Phillips curve is flat or, you know, almost uh flat you could uh about get there as long as you know inflationary expectations are completely anchored so i'm not saying that what he's saying is nonsense there does you could go to our book into the chapter on monetary policy inflation you could find that case i'm just saying i don't uh i don't think it's likely and i wouldn't want to bet the
0: farm on it but
1: i don't know what you think
0: well i think those are, are excellent points one thing that um I wonder about, and this is something maybe worth spending a little time on, is, of course, the, in March, in the, the March meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, they did their first increase in the federal funds rate target. It was only a quarter of a percentage point. It, interestingly enough, in the minutes to that meeting which just came out yesterday, they said they would have done a half a point, but... Um, the uncertainty because of the, uh, the war in the Ukraine caused them to, to cut it back to a quarter of a point. But as you point out, if inflation by their gauge of the PCE, not counting food and energy prices is five, there's still a long way from getting to just having the real federal funds rate equal to zero. But here, here's a point that I'd uh, like to ask you about that you hear some people say And that is, in contrast to previous periods when the Fed has been increasing interest rates, the federal government's debt is much larger, right? Because we've just gone through a couple of years in which Congress and first the Trump administration, the Biden administration, had increased federal spending by trillions of dollars um, without increasing taxes. So uh, that added, the Treasury then had to borrow by issuing more Treasury bills and notes and bonds and so on. So some people have said, with that big increase in the federal government's debt, if the Fed pushes too vigorously on interest rates, so you know as it is now, they have to get up to federal funds rate of five percent. They're only at a quarter to a half a percentage point. They have to get up to five percent. If interest rates got that high, would that then pose a big burden on the federal government? Because of course, as the treasury issues new treasury bills, notes and bonds, they would have to pay investors higher interest rates in order to get the investors to to buy the, the bonds. And of course the treasury then have to pay those higher interest rates. And the argument is, well, the only way you could do that is you would either have to squeeze out some other types of spending. So you'd be spending more on interest payments to bondholders. You have to spend less on something else. Or you would have to raise taxes to get the funds to make those payments. Or you'd have to issue even more debt in order to make the interest payments on the debt. So do you see that? Do you think that that's a live issue for the Fed that, if, if that does that? does Powell and his colleagues, do they think, gee, you know, there is a limit to how much we can raise interest rates for fear of increasing the uh, interest payments that the treasury is going to have to make?
1: I don't think they'll say it out loud, but I've got to believe it's in the back of their head. And I, from your question, I can see why people call our profession a dismal science. It sounds like <laughs> that's kind of trap, but I think it's worse than you outlined. So in addition to, um, the increases in the policy rate, the federal funds rate, the minutes uh, discussed quantitative tightening. And if you were to just take the Fed studies um, and and look at them in the mirror, so look at the uh, effects of quantitative easing on rates and then just flip it and say, let's call it quantitative tightening. And by the way, there's reason to believe it'll be even larger effects on the way down, but let's just take that symmetrically. About a hundred billion increase in QT, that is reducing the portfolio by 100 billion, would typically raise the 10-year by 10 basis points. So it's not just on the short end of the curve, but longer rates may go up as well. Now, if you look at what's happened to longer rates, 10-year Treasury note rates, uh, since we've had the inflation scare, they have gone up, but not enough to price that in. So the bond market must be thinking, and the Fed must be thinking, that the economy would, would basically roll over, you know, the soft landing really isn't going to be that soft. And maybe the Fed doesn't have to go that far. I'm skeptical. I think there is a lot of growth momentum in the economy. And if you want to slow it down, you're going to have to uh, tap on the brakes pretty hard. The Fed will face a lot of political blowback. Now, Volcker did too. But remember, the level of federal debt was a lot smaller. Uh, much of his blowback was more from the private sector, from farmers and others who were affected, borrowers generally, who were affected by high uh, interest rates. So I, I think this is going to be difficult to terrain from the Fed. Again, as I said before, does there exist a set of assumptions under which this is manageable? Yes. Is it likely? I don't think so.
0: Those are all excellent points, um... You know, it's hard necessarily to take cues from the stock market because, you know, figuring out why the stock market does what it does is not always the easiest thing in the world. But it seems to be the case that once it became clear with the release of the minutes that the Fed was going to, in fact, reduce its assets, as you just talked about, probably to the tune of $95 billion or so per month or over the course of 12 months, that would be more than a trillion dollars. That is potentially, you would think, somewhat disruptive because the Fed, last time I looked, the Fed owned about 24% of outstanding treasury securities. And they they owned about 30% of mortgage-backed securities issued by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and and Ginnie Mae. And even say in the minutes, they reiterate they want to be completely out of the business of buying mortgage-backed securities. And of course, those are the securities that are created when people take out a mortgage to buy a house and the mortgages are bundled together and sold as something that looks like a bond and are guaranteed then by these quasi-government agencies. So you know, we're kind of in uncharted waters here, aren't we? That I mean, the, the, the Fed's balance sheet had, had jumped from around $4 trillion to almost $9 trillion. And as it runs that down, particularly as it runs it down faster than people have thought that it would is, is the stock market sending us a signal that gee you know this may be pretty disruptive to the financial system
1: Well that's what I don't I mean I, I can't really predict the stock market if I could I would be wealthy and sitting on a beach in Florida instead of chatting with you about principles of economics so its still the what podcast. Would, yeah what, <laughs> what I would say is the stock market and the bond market can't both be right. So the stock market is saying um, earnings aren't going to be much affected by inflation or the Fed's reaction to it. But I said earlier that um, 10-year rates hadn't risen by as much as I would have thought. So that suggests the bond market is saying things are going to roll over. Now, both those can't be right. Inflation either is a problem or isn't a problem. I can't say which one it is, but it can't be both, right? So uh, that's, the, that's the conundrum, to borrow a term, term from former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan. And we'll have to see as, as, as times go on. Now, Chair Bernanke had the so-called taper tantrum in right.
0: 2013,
1: I believe. Um, but that was because the market was surprised. The market's now not surprised by quantitative tightening. It's sort of been telegraphed. But as you said, a swing of a trillion dollars, expected or not, is going to have an impact. So I, I think this is going to be a very interesting year in, in capital markets, and certainly for any of us talking about this in the classroom.
0: Great. Well, Glenn, I think we've given people a lot to think about because as you point out, this is uh, something that we haven't experienced in many years. We haven't seen inflation like this. The Fed hasn't been put in a position where it has to make these kinds of decisions for quite a long time. Okay, well, just a reminder to listeners that this podcast is available on iTunes. So if you'd like, you can subscribe and make us part of your podcast feed. Please also keep checking our blog at Hubbard O'Brien Economics, all one word, dot com, where we periodically post new content. You can subscribe to the blog and you'll receive email alerts about new posts. In fact, the whole post will be in the email, so you can, uh, you can get it in a handy way. We also have a Twitter account, which you can find by searching on the Twitter site for Hubbard O'Brien Economics. Thanks again to everyone for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to connecting with instructors and students again on a future Hubbard O'Brien Economics podcast. We'll see you next time.